Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to a new episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today is New Year's and we are taking a look back. It's a special episode. It's a top 10 list of the movies that came out in 2019. It all leads up to this, doesn't it? Today on the show, we've got Josh Bell and Jason Harris from Awesome Movie Year joining us. And we are going to each count down our top 10s, as well as like we did last year. We also had these two on last year for 2018. We're also going to get into a few of our favorite movie moments of the year. So it's a great long conversation. I want to jump right into it, but first I do want to remind you to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice, and of course, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So let's jump into this thing, because like I said, it's a long one. All right, so we've got with us today from Awesome Movie Year, Josh Bell and Jason Harris. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Awesome, even. I'm exhausted. All I've done is watch movies to prepare for this podcast. Yeah, you you needed to watch a lot of movies to get ready for this, huh? I watched so many, and I think that speaks less to um, how many movies I needed to watch and to how many not great movies were out this year, because it took oh. me a long time to get to a top 10. So you don't think this was an awesome movie here? Uh, no, I would never say that. As Josh <laughs> tells you, every year is an awesome movie year. I just think it, there it was tough to find 10 awesome movies this year <laughs> yeah well that's right. fair i mean i i saw like 215 movies released this year or something like that and you know i have i think i have i'm confident with my top 10 that they were all good and maybe up to 20 or 30 or whatever but sure. i can i can definitely sympathize with that and certainly like <laughs> sometimes and i know jason you're watching here at the end of the year like the movies that are widely acclaimed by a lot of people and i've had that experience plenty of times going in and thinking Everyone loves this movie. I definitely have to watch it and then not really being impressed by well, it. Well, right. and here's another problem. And, you know, uh, an awesome movie year as we deep dive into different years, we're always uh, the first episode of every season is like the highest box office grocer, you know, mm -hmm. and you are always going to get like big franchisey stuff. But then you get like a few like kind of cool things that pop in there, whether sure. it's, you know, a unique uh comedy or action movie something but this year like i as i was researching it's all and we kind of knew this ip it's just avengers lion king frozen spider-man captain marvel toy story joker aladdin hobbs and shaw 
Star Wars, it's like all come on. IP and mostly Disney IP, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and not even first, um, like it's not it's not Frozen. It's Frozen Two, right? Like not right. even first edition IP stuff. First edition stuff. Frozen, <laughs> mint in the box. I mean, we're we're getting to the point where at least the mainstream is just getting more and more lazy and just you know recycling and you know where are we going to go from here so yeah. i think that's part of the problem i don't disagree with that statement but there's still plenty of great movies sure yeah, yeah. there are and I mean, even some of those movies that you just mentioned are, are good sure yes and uh i saw somewhere and i don't remember where it was now or what was on the list so this is not a useful contribution but someone <laughs> had a list of like the top 10 movies at the box office that are not ip and i think us might have been at the top yeah, that could that could be. I mean, you know, um, but I mean, and I I agree with you. Like last year, uh, Avengers was like near the top of my list. You know, the Infinity War, and, right? Uh, and Mission Impossible was. Wasn't that I last loved year? it. That yeah. was probably my number one last year. But I just, you know, I don't think a lot of these took uh, big chances. A lot of the major IPs this year, although. Avengers definitely had some memorable moments, as we might find out. Oh, might we? Oh, all right. Well, uh, before we spoil anything else, why don't we get into this list? Um, who wants to go first between you two? You guys want to fight for it or something? Should we do a rock, paper, scissors? I, as always, I'm a gentleman at these year-end podcasts, <laughs> and I will give you the floor, my friend. Oh, so kind of you. Well, my number 10 is actually a movie that Jason and I watched together that I think we were both maybe slightly pleasantly surprised by, even though it's a movie that was very well reviewed. And I don't know if it's on Jason's list, but it's uh, Honey Boy, the Shia LaBeouf uh, autobiographical drama, uh, I guess you could call it. And, and I certainly have not been a huge fan of Shia LaBeouf in general. Um, I think he can be good as an actor, but he definitely is uh, inconsistent. And this sounded like a very self-indulgent project, a movie where it, he wrote the script based on his own life and he plays his own father. Um, but it's a really wonder. Like, first of all, he's amazing in it. Shia LaBeouf as his father, yeah. uh, this kind of abusive guy who puts all his hopes in his son becoming a child actor uh, who was Shia. And the, the stand-in character is played by Noah Jupe as a kid who is also really, really good. And uh, Lucas Hedges, who I'm not a huge fan of, but does a great job as the older version of the character, Otis. Um, it's just, it's a very sensitive movie and it really gets into that father-son relationship and how even when it's abusive, the kid cares so much about his father and about pleasing his father and about almost like raising the father. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it a lot and I think Jason did too. I don't know if it's on your list, but um, I think we both had a good time watching it. Uh, it is on my list. If you want, I'll make it number 10. Just you so can make can, it whatever uh, number you want, man. It's I, a, I have it a little further up actually. All right. oh, so, great. Um, and I agree with all your points. I think, um, you know, the with Shia, the character of Shia LaBeouf and his dad, there was a codependence there that neither of them could break. And um you were right. The kid, Noah, was that his Noah Jupe, yeah. Yeah, and and Shia as his dad, like really, really just incredible acting all the way through. Um, I I agree with you, like that it it felt like it would be indulgent, but you know, Shia LaBeouf made us uh sympathetic towards him, right? So that's 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 good there. So. Yeah, He's and not only a good year. Not only towards him, but also towards towards the dad, who's obviously like not a good guy. Yeah, uh, the dad definitely. Um, besides having you know legal issues, 
has emotional issues, right? Yeah, so a lot, a lot probably of issues. PTSD. Yes, and yeah. Um, but you know, one thing that we left out because um, we talked about it when we watched it. The director was a first time director, right? Uh, no, she's not. Al- Alma Harrell is her name. She directed a documentary called I think it's called Bombay on the Beach or Bombay Beach or something like that. She's someone who had worked with Shia LaBeouf on you know some of his weird art projects and stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of good. It's not just him. It's her right. too. Yeah, I think if he maybe didn't give up that control. Maybe it could have gotten out of control, so right. to speak. Yeah. But um, she did a very good job. And uh, yeah, good good movie. N- a nice, tight 90-minute film of thereabouts. I believe yeah. she even uh, was the one that convinced them to star as his dad. It was her idea, I believe. Oh, good idea. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we go to your uh, number 10, Jason? Okay, my number 10 is Honeyland. Not honey boy. So much honey in this yeah. podcast. You don't have to hear Shia LaBeouf say, Honeyland, get over here, Honeyland. So <laughs> that's a good impression. Thank you. Thank you. Honeyland is a documentary. It's in Macedonia. Is that right, Josh? Or, yeah, it's the Macedonian submission for the foreign language Oscar. It's crazy. And and it and it could be up for best documentary too, I know. Um, which is about a woman who lives in a very, very remote village in Macedonia and she um, uh, farms honey, I guess. She's like a bee farmer, I guess you'd call her. And she does it in this very, I guess, uh, man, old school, shall we say, way where like she's putting the honeycombs inside of rock formations uh-huh. and everything. And, you know, then this like family moves in and they kind of disrupt her life. And her life is very simple. It's her getting honey and it's taking care of her mother. And this family moves in and, um, the dad is just trying to make more money. So he tries to cultivate honey and he messes everything up and his kids end up like disliking him. I I like how the kids are always cursing at the father in this film. And I know one of Josh's criticisms of the movie is like, how did the filmmakers end up there at all these right moments? And uh, maybe Josh has more information on it than I I do. I don't. Oh, I mean, some of it is definitely editing tricks where like you see something emotional um, where that, and then they could just play that into like the next major point of the movie. But, uh, some of it, I don't either. But what I really, why it ended up on my list was because, um, it gave me a real glimpse into a world. I don't know, a different universe, different people. And, um, it was shot very well. And also I liked that it was kind of very verite. Like there's no, like, and then this happened to Hazme, you know, and everything. So uh, it's a very interesting movie. I don't know if it'll end up on National Geographic or, you know, <laughs> CNN or anywhere else, but um, it feels like it belongs on one of those. So Honeyland, my number 10. Awesome. I wanted to see that, um, although I did think it would probably scare the shit out of me because all the bees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of bees. I, I too, I too was, I, I saw it and I was kind of like on edge the whole time because of the bees. Um, and this is a, this is one of those movies that like I was just describing where it was so, 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 so well-reviewed and I thought I should catch up with it and I found it just uh, a little dull, but I'm glad that you liked it. I reviewed it well. You did. Um, the sound design also enhances oh. the B, um, the B, <laughs> there's a lot the of buzzing. Feeling. Yeah. You see that in 40X. Right. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe something's flying. And yet yeah, she's so yeah. calm by him. It's, it's so interesting because she's such a, you know, whether it's because of her years of her experience or how the tradition has been handed down, whatever. She's so easy with these bees and like the neighbors just kept getting stung constantly and messing things up. Wow. 
Well, my number 10 um, is a movie that was delayed many, many times and finally. Cats. <laughs> yes, it was Cats. Oh. No, it, Cats sadly didn't make my top 10, although I had a great time at the theater, but that's another story. Uh, no, it's a movie that finally got dumped to VOD this year after getting delayed multiple times. It is David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake, and uh, this is a just absolutely kind of bizarre movie that is about conspiracies and conspiracy theorists and theories in general um and how ridiculous they are while at the same time being completely filled with them there's like a million ways to look at every scene there's so many unanswered questions things for you to hunt for clues for right along with the character and uh the, the main uh main character played by andrew garfield and uh it it just goes in so many just completely unexpected directions and was everything that I was really looking forward to for that year and a half that it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And I think is the only movie on the list I got stuck watching at home, but uh, uh, that's very unfortunate, but you guys know how I feel about that. I love watching movies at home and this is on my list of ones that I still need to catch up on Yeah, at home. It- <laughs> um, but it's so weird. Cause like Dave, like you said, like, we all knew about this movie beforehand and it was like one we had all like kind of marked as like, Oh, this will be cool to see. And I have no, I don't know why they kept pushing and moved it to VOD. Apparently it had like a disastrous premiere. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it got really bad notices when it played at Cannes, And I mean, it's still got a lot of bad reviews, but it, it has this like core of almost a cult following. Yeah. It's definitely like a cult thing now. It's it's got some good ones too. Yeah, it does. I mean, I saw it on other top 10 lists. It's a movie. I know we talked about when we did the halfway through uh, top 10 and I've been meaning to see it and I, I, and I still haven't. I once Dave said VOD, I thought he was going to say Nicolas Cage in whatever. Yeah, (laughs) this is just the top 10 Nicolas Cage VOD movies of 2019. That could be a fun episode, too. Yes, (laughs) I've seen at least one of them. What do you got for number nine? Well, it's Nicolas Cage. And no, I mean, like I said, we we just we did this this top 10 at the uh, halfway point. And I think like six out of my current top 10 are are recycled from that because I saw a lot of good movies early in the year, including my number nine pick, which is Jan Gonzalez's Knife and Heart, a uh, French film. And I've talked about, I feel like I've talked about this multiple times on Piecing It Together and also possibly on Awesome Movie Year about the uh, sort of neo-giallo trend that's going on. Filmmakers paying tribute to uh, the giallo style of uh, European and specifically Italian horror films in the 70s and 80s. And this is a movie that very much does that. Uh, set in the 70s in the world of gay porn in Paris and uh, about uh, serial killers stalking gay porn stars. Um, So, but it's done in this like lush, uh, sort of extremely colorful style. Um, It's weird and kind of impressionistic almost at times, Uh, but it's also funny and it's got weird kills. There is a dildo with a knife in it that is used to kill someone at one point. So, I mean, it definitely doesn't take itself super seriously. Uh, Vanessa Paradis is very good as the woman who runs this gay porn company and is uh, faced with all her actors being murdered. Um, yeah, I saw it at a, a festival in January and it has certainly stuck with me. It's available on Shudder, I believe now for people who have that, um, knife and heart. Sounds really interesting. I forgot about that when you had brought that up earlier in the year. Yeah. Don't I, forget I need to see that. The great line. That's not the type of stabbing we were looking for. 
Yes. Do they say that? Jason, <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> Jason clearly has seen this movie. <laughs> no, uh, my number nine is a movie that Dave and I talked about on a different uh, episode of Piecing It Together. And I have it on there because I needed one mainstream comedy. And it was not a great year for mainstream comedies. So the one I liked the best, I think, was Good Boys. So that's why I made my top 10. Although if you were like, you know what? It doesn't deserve to be there. I'd be like, maybe you're right. So <laughs> Ringing so very, endorsement. Very loose definition but of top 10. it was for the summer. It was a fun, funny, good popcorn movie. Again, 90 minutes. Happy about that. And what I really liked about it was um, the relationship between the three main kids and how they really effectively went over the idea of when you grow up, you grow apart and that you have to deal with that. You know, what's funny about that movie is it's not my top 10, um, but it's somewhere around like 28, 29, something like that. And right there is the mark where everything below that, I was like, eh, on, you know what I mean? That was like the, the last one on the, yeah, I really like that movie. You know, I agree. I like that movie. I just needed a mainstream comedy, guys. I wouldn't have felt right with that mm, one. Anyway. I don't have any mainstream comedies on my list. Well, you're so erudite and sophisticated, aren't you? So true. Although I thought there were some good ones. <laughs> well, my number nine uh, is something I have a feeling is probably on Jason's list. That is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Yes, that's on my list. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously there was so much said about this movie throughout the year, whether it was on, you know, Scorsese and his whole thing and everything with the controversies around that. And then just the fact that this is a Netflix movie and there is the, is, is Dave going to get to see it in the theater or not conversation? That was a huge conversation yeah, online yeah, among yeah. many people. <laughs> I kept trying to read about Scorsese's opinion on Marvel. And then every interview, I was like, what about Dave? What Where will he watch Dave? it? That was a big deal. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, th this movie, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's one of those. And I actually found this with quite a few of the movies in my top 10 as we continue to get through this. But this was a real grower for me. Like, I saw it the day of. I, I very much enjoyed it. But, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have had it in my top 10. But as I've sat with it and thought about everything that he's trying to say with this movie, I just, I just think it's fantastic. I agree. And also, I think, you know, for the most part, he's it's going to be a landmark film in the way he used that de-aging technology and where they're going to go with that from here. I didn't like it. Oh, poor Justin, <laughs> like it. It's not I'm about not, I'm not saying you should have sympathy for me. I'm just saying that was my opinion. I was I feel like sort of the opposite mm. is that I it, it completely left my mind the minute it ended. Mm. Interesting. All right. So that's no. a, yeah. Well, what movie didn't uh, leave, leave your you, mind? Oh, it didn't. Well, actually, <laughs> my number eight pick is a movie that we talked about on the Piecing It Together podcast. Right. Is Riley cats? Stearns? Yes, it's Cats. <laughs> no, save Cats for number one, Jason. Okay, okay. Come on. Uh, it's uh, Riley Stearns' The Art of Self Defense. Hell yeah! Uh, really good black comedy, uh, starring uh, Jesse Eisenberg as a nebbishy office worker who decides he's going to take control of his life and joins this uh, dojo run by Alessandro Nivola's character. Alessandro Nivola, one of the great performances this year, a guy who never really does much of anything and yeah. suddenly just like brought it in this movie. Um, funny, dark, violent, reminded me a lot of Fight Club, which mm -hmm. I think we talked about in the podcast and is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, but on a different, uh, it, it's not as intense and not as dark maybe uh it definitely 
has something to say about like toxic masculinity and about sort of nerd rage, I guess you could call it. <laughs> um, but it's just entertaining and fun. Imogen Poot's also really good in it. The art of self-defense. I think this is a movie that is really going to find an audience uh, in the years to come. I, I think people are going to really love this thing. I hope so. Yeah, it's, it seems like something that could get a cult following. And I noticed, um, and this is kind of a trend since DVDs are not a, really a thing anymore. Uh, Riley Stearns just recently released his own uh, commentary track for that. it that you can listen to. Uh, which I have not. How done. do you listen to it? And you just download it. He oh, just has just it online. It yeah. yeah, that's great. I'm glad that's becoming a trend because that's one thing I've been missing since the uh, loss of the DVD. Yeah, uh, Ryan Johnson did it for Knives Out this year as well. Hey, you sold me on this movie. I haven't seen it, but um, I just marked it down. Like you made it sound really. Yeah, good. it's good. I think it's something you would yeah. like, actually. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number eight. We're moving to my family film of the year. Uh, you just have different slots for each kind I, of movie? I, I don't, but I think that would be a fair way to uh, assess a top 10 if you wanted to. Okay. I just really thought this was a very good movie and the best Christmas movie in a long time. It's Klaus on Netflix um, with Jason Schwartzman and J.K. Simmons. And um, it's a really interesting, strange movie about a male carrier who gets shipped to a small town in uh you know possibly scandinavia north it, it seems to be set in some sort of like alternate universe yeah as far as i could tell and it's kind of in that regard a uh an origin story of uh santa claus and christmas and hmm. it was really a lot of fun and i watched it with my daughter and that was great so Really good movie, I think. I had absolutely no idea what this movie was about or who was in it or anything, and now I kind of want to watch it. Sounds fun. It was. It was a lot of fun, and and as we know, because we every year, oh, well, Christmas movies. It's tough to find good new ones, right? Yeah. So this to me I is a good Schwartzman, new one. And I love yeah. J.K. Simmons. Yeah, so. J.K. Simmons as Santa Claus. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty good as yeah. Klaus. Klaus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my number eight is one that I'm sure isn't on either of you guys' list, but I'm going to sit here and defend it for a minute, and that is Todd Phillips' Joker. Um, obviously, controversial movie. I mean, so many people hated this movie, but so many people loved it as well. Um, I I know it. It's it's weird. I was thinking about it as I was making my notes for this. I feel like this movie is kind of like, you know, the cilantro thing where some people think it tastes like soap. Um, it's like I, I don't get how some people think this movie had nothing to say. I think this movie has a lot to say about the 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 healthcare industry in this country and, and the, the issues with mental health. And uh, it, yes, this is a worst case scenario filtered through a comic book movie, but I think it's incredibly interesting. I think amazingly acted well shot. I think it's got a great score. I think it's basically working on every angle pretty much. Um, and as we said on our episode about Joker, I do think a lot of that was by accident. <laughs> I don't think Todd Phillips kind of has that in him, but he certainly pulled it off somehow. Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix is really, really good. And that's probably my favorite thing about it. Although I was one of the people who felt like it had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. I liked it. It was, uh, you know, when I was making my list, it could have ended up there. It okay. didn't, but I agree. Joaquin Phoenix is awesome. As you know, Josh, on awesome movie year, we just talked about Batman, you know, the 1989 thing, yes. which, which uh, will be coming out after this. Right. Coming up. <laughs> yes. So please give that a listen. And uh, a very different Joker performance by Jack Nicholson. But, you know, to me, what, one of the, look, what a year for Scorsese homages, uh, right? Yes. There are so many of them. Yes. Like, 
you know, I yeah between that and Hustler. Yeah, oh, yeah. right. And those were vo- both very direct homages. You yes. Know? So um, that's one of the things I enjoyed about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like you know, and De Niro, you know, kind of recreating the Rupert Pumpkin style King of Comedy character. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, what's up next for you, Josh? Uh, my number seven is another movie we talked about at the half-year mark that I think has, for some reason, gotten lost uh, in the shuffle this year, and it seems like the kind of movie that should have gotten a lot more awards attention, uh, which is Sebastian Lelio's Gloria Bell, his uh, English-language remake of his uh, Chilean film Gloria, starring Julianne Moore, who I don't understand why is she is not up for like all the best actress uh, right. conversation this year. I mean, she's someone who often is in movies that maybe aren't even as good as this. Um, and she is just fantastic as the title character, this middle-aged woman who's been divorced and just decides to kind of embrace life and take control of things. And it's one of these movies where you think that it's the kind of character who could be kind of pitiable and sad. This woman who's single uh, trying to date these losers. John Turturro plays this guy that seems like a good guy that she starts dating and turns out really not to be. Uh, she's got these adult children who are kind of ungrateful to her, but she's just such a positive person and she embraces life so much. And I mean, it's the same way that it's done in the original. And maybe that's one of the reasons why it hasn't gotten more attention because it's a really very faithful remake mm-hmm. by the same director. But I think it has enough of a, a spin on it and what Julianne Moore brings to it. And there's a great Vegas sequence in this movie. I, I wrote about this recently as like the best Vegas moment at the movies of this year where they, uh, Julianne Moore and John Turturro's character take a vacation to Las Vegas. And it really gives you, again, something that could seem like sad and run down is this beautiful sense of wonder about coming to Vegas. And it's the same way that it approaches her life. So uh, I liked it a lot. It was an A24 release. Yeah. So it's streaming in all sorts of places right now. Uh, Gloria Bell. Yeah, I, I really want to watch it. I, I've been trying to get to it all year since I miss it in the theaters, but you guys know how I am about at home watching. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely towards the top of my list to catch up on. Your hair is like John Totoro's if he doesn't, you know, poof it. We've said that twice now on different podcasts. <laughs> really? Yes, we definitely compared Dave's hair to John Totoro oh. in an episode of Awesome Movie Year. I oh. guess my Halloween costume is decided for next <laughs> year. <laughs> but I mean, hey. Lori, uh, Julianne Moore and John Turturro. Why wouldn't you watch? Yeah, that? yeah. Then they're both really good in it. My number seven, Dave. You just use that uh, word "grower" in a not gay porn way, <laughs> like knife to the heart or whatever. Knife and heart. Yeah. Okay. So um, the thing is, this movie it still is hugely buzzed about and beloved, and is going to be up for a bunch of awards, and has already won a bunch of awards. And I watched it, and I was like, eh, do I like it? And I did like it, but now after just kind of letting it seep in for since watching it, like it just kind of permeates my mind more and more. Um, and that is Parasite by Korean director Bong Joon-ho. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> yes. Um, which, I mean, for better or worse, you could say is two different movies, like uh, one half into the next. Mm-hmm. And it gets so insane for me. I really love the second half and the first half. I was like, this is fine. I know Josh felt the exact opposite. I, I feel the exact opposite as well. I like yeah. the first half. Though. Yeah. The no. first half with the, the sort of mental, like the psychological manipulation yeah. versus mm-hmm. when it gets into the violence in the second half. But this does seem like it would be a movie worth repeat viewing because I think there's always going to be something else to pick up in there. But uh, it had some of the more memorable 
uh, cinematic scenes of the year for me. And uh, number seven. Well, thank you very much for lending some credibility to this list because people would have rejected it if Parasite wasn't in this conversation. <laughs> so. This is not on your list? Or? It's not on my list. And not, it's, it's not, not on, on mine either. Yeah. Although I, I liked it. I mean, it's yeah. in maybe my yeah. top 20 or 30. Sure. Um, and I, I probably liked it. I, I want to say it might be my favorite film of, of his, which I think is he's hugely acclaimed and I think his stuff is a bit scattered. It's my number 20. Okay. But, yeah. I very much liked it. Uh, okay. so. Next up for me uh, is actually the Safdie Brothers Uncut Gems, which I, uh, I again, another grower. I, I walked out of the theater just like, okay, that was awesome, but I definitely don't like it as much as Good Time. And here I am a few days later, and I'm like, ooh, I might like it more than Good Time. <laughs> it's just constantly growing for me. Every ready day. to go to the diamond district <laughs> and buy some things. Thank Come you for on. that. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just take a break and let you do that for like five more minutes? I knew so many of those growing up in North Jersey. Yeah, so I'm sure. Those friends' parents are like, come on, what do you want? You want a bracelet? You want a necklace? What do you want? I'm just trying to support my family. My family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, this movie, though, um, the, the reason it just keeps getting uh, higher and higher up on my list. And the funny thing is, Good Time also as a movie. I think when I ended the year uh, that year, I, I had it maybe in like number eight or nine or something. And then it kept going up my list after i made my final list but um it's just the technical level of everything just the fact that they were able to balance so much crazy shit happening at once is just kind of mind-blowing for me and I, I love it i really like the kinetic energy of it i do think adam sandler should be nominated for sure. uh, best actor um i think it would have it could have used some editing two hours and 15 minutes could have been trimmed down definitely um to about an hour and a half no uh but you know i definitely think it could have come in under two hours i liked it i uh, didn't love it okay no. yeah I, I i mean as we've talked about earlier i wasn't a fan yeah uh and i just haven't i the softies are not for me i've yeah. seen all four of their features and i haven't liked any of them and they definitely do a similar thing in each one and it's just it's definitely not a movie i would like like tell people that they need to watch because it's also like an uncomfortable yeah, watch. Yeah, but that's definitely the, like their thing. Yeah. yeah. All right, so what's up next? Oh, it's me again. Yes. So we'll actually Number speak, six. Speaking of uh, movies that make you uncomfortable after I just said I don't like when the softies do it, uh, <laughs> my number six is a movie that similarly is kind of abrasive and is all about a main character who is hard to like, at least at first. It's Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell starring Elizabeth Moss, uh, another movie I think that we talked about on the Piecing It Together we podcast. Sure yeah. And a movie that I think has grown in my mind over time. Um, Elizabeth Moss is just amazing. And she had yeah. a really, really good year this year as well um, with us. And well, I guess the kitchen wasn't that great. But um, <laughs> she is just so, so, so good in, uh, in this movie as Becky something, the sort of Courtney Love-ish uh, washed up 90s rock star uh, who, again, is hard to like, is is loud and overbearing and is a drug addict for half the movie. Um, but it just immerses you in this world so intensely. And yeah. I think Perry just does an amazing job. Like both of them working together do this amazing job of putting you right in it with the people who and the, the characters, the sporting characters who are just as kind of annoyed with her yeah. as as you might be as a viewer 
Um, but the intensity and the the whirlwind of dealing with a person like this, and 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 there's a, a progression to it. It's not just here's this person who's hard to handle for two hours or whatever. We we see it's basically five scenes, the movie, five long scenes. Yeah. And they jump forward in time. And we see the kind of progression of 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 her career and also her uh journey of uh, addiction and sobriety and where she ends up, which is not a perfect place, but is a kind of uh, ambiguous uh, position that she's in at the end. So sure. uh, anyway, it's a movie that stuck with me a lot. And I like Julianne Moore in, in Gloria Bell. I feel like Elizabeth Moss should be getting all the best actress conversation that she has not been getting um, for smell. This is why I keep trying to push this recording. It's one that I have and I want to watch and I just, I feel like I'm going to be like uh, messaging you over the next few days while I keep watching. Like I have to add this into my <laughs> about something. So, yeah, no, I was just thinking that that, uh, that and uncut gems would be a hell of a double feature. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It'd be exhausting. Really. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of unlikable uh, characters, Josh, my number six is honey boy. Uh, All right. Honey boy himself is a likable character, but the dad, as we said, very unlikable. And uh, just had a couple of things that we didn't talk about. One, what I, one interesting thing is they really show a really skeezy, downtrodden side of Los Angeles that we don't get to see in movies a lot. And sure. that environment works really well. And I also thought the stuff um, with him on set as an actor and as a child actor was a good glimpse into that world. So, um, yeah, honey boy, number six. I like it. Absolutely. Me too. Um, all right. Next up for me is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which I think is uh probably the most fun time I had at the movies this year. Uh the funniest movie of the year, I think. Uh just really I so many laughs, so fast paced, so just witty and quick and just uh, just an absolute blast. And it was all it was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I've always really liked Ryan Johnson and uh it it absolutely it absolutely lived up to it. Um okay. I love <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. No, I mean I love like three quarters of this movie. And then in like the you know Agatha Christie ending of like, well, it had to be you because blah 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 blah. I thought it all unraveled. Like, I don't think the ending was tight and I don't think it really made much sense and it wasn't satisfying. Um, I love the cinematography. I think it was amazing because especially the fact that it all basically takes place on, you know, the manor or whatever. Sure. I love that. And I love the set design. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of just took me out. Some of the dialogue was hilarious and some of it was so like, on the nose of like, well, we can't let them in. They're Mexican, you know, like that stuff. Like, I thought that was a horrible scene where it's like, you know, I wouldn't be saying you wouldn't be saying this if they were Swedish, you know. And it's like, right. So it was kind of a bummer because like it was close, and then like uh, it just fizzled out for me in Act Three. Tiebreaker, Josh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I completely disagree with you about the Act Three and the Agatha Christie style ending. I feel like that's like the point of the movie. And uh, no, I, I want, I don't mind that it happened. I yeah. just don't think it worked. No, I thought it worked really, really well. And the fact that it's kind of, that it's convoluted and that he has to sit there and explain it forever is kind of what the movie is doing. And it is to me was very entertaining. And I did feel like it held together, even though it's convoluted. Um, I, I agree that some of the, the, like that one particular political commentary scene was maybe a little too on the nose, 
But overall, like I liked it a lot. It's not in my top 10, but it was probably in my top 20. And I'm back and forth on Ryan Johnson. But I think this was probably his best movie. Yeah, I think that all that political stuff is a very fine line to walk. And I think mostly he he nailed it. But I mean, it's definitely it's a difficult thing. I think when he's writing like original fun dialogue, like it is original and fun. And this was just like very hacky, like this guy's right wing and this girl's left wing. All right. Okay. All right. What do you got next, Josh? All right. Well, my number five pick is a movie that Dave will never see because it was a Netflix original that didn't open in any theaters at all by design. uh, And that we also talked about on our half year episode. And that's Steven Soderbergh's high flying bird. Mm. Uh, Steven Soderbergh released two movies this year. Uh, One very good movie, high flying bird. One of his (laughs) worst movies, uh, the laundromat, both of which went straight to Netflix. Uh, But high flying bird uh, to me was finally since his his sort of post-retirement period where I feel like he's been floundering a bit. This to me was finally the kind of Soderbergh movie that I want to see from him. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Andre Holland as a an agent to uh, basketball players and kind of wheeling and dealing in this period when the NBA is uh, on a lockout, the players are on strike and the way that he maneuvers things to get his client in a good position. And it's just so snappily paced. It's got great characters. Uh, Zazie Beetz is also really fun to watch in it as sort of his uh, right-hand woman as he goes through this. It's almost like a heist movie in that he's he's playing all these people off each other and you don't entirely know like what he's doing until they reveal it at the end. And mm. I know nothing about basketball. Jason knows how little of a sports person I am. Right. And one of the things I didn't like about Uncut Gems actually was all the basketball and the sports talk that completely went over my head. But To me, I, as a non-sports person, was totally engrossed in this movie. Uh, I just thought it was a lot of fun. It's creatively shot, uh, although Soderbergh still insists on shooting on iPhones, which is annoying. But uh, if he's going to do that, this movie looked about as well, as good as it could. Uh, The script by Trell Alvin McCraney, who's a playwright, um, whose play was the inspiration for Moonlight, uh, is really strong. And it's on Netflix, so more people should watch it. High Flying Bird. Jason didn't like it. You know what two things I love? What's that? Steven Soderbergh in basketball. You know what movie I did not love at all? High Flying Bird. Wow. Um, and I totally disagree with uh Yeah, it was creatively shot, but it was underwhelmingly shot. Considering what we know Steven Soderbergh is capable of shooting, it's like, I'll just put a iPhone up here and let a scene play out in a weird angle. It's like, man, you're so much more creative than that, though. I just, it just didn't work for me at all, this one. And I was I would put it on my most disappointing list, right. Josh. Yeah, well, you haven't seen the laundromat yet. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't seen it. I love Steven Soderbergh. So and I I mean, you know, and I like all these like wheeling dealing type, you know, uh business movies. And this one's about basketball. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I take a you know, a good long break and watch it again, it'll it'll uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it didn't work for you, it I I wouldn't expect I mean, I liked it a lot, but I wouldn't expect you to come around on yeah. it. But I will say that. One thing about the creative shots that the laundromat is like all creative shots and it's super annoying. I could, I could understand that. I just didn't think that he, yeah, but, but he's so good at like, as we've seen with traffic and Aaron Brockovich, yeah, and, you know, yeah. out of sight, which, you know, that's the golden Soderbergh period. Like he's so able to make the camera enhance what he's the story he's trying to tell. So, um, which I didn't get in this one. Fair enough. Uh, and I will take issue with you, David, now that Uh-oh. you have said on your last pick that the most fun movie of the year was 
your number six pick. In fact, the most fun movie of the year is my number five pick. Oh, Dolomite is my name. Another Netflix extravaganza. Although that did play in theaters here. Dave and I saw it together in a theater. Absolutely. Well, get used to it, buddy. You're going to have to start watching these things at home. Those are fighting words right there. Man, I just, it is fun from beginning to end. Eddie Murphy is uh, really, really, he's going for it all the way. And this is the perfect role for him to do it as Rudy Ray Moore. Um, And I just, I mean, it's like this, you know, hey, kids, let's put on a show and nothing's going to stop us. And that spirit goes all the way through in between that and strong supporting performances. And just, man, Eddie Murphy, put him up there, too. Let's get him an award nomination for this movie. Uh, I love this movie. It was just so much fun. I loved it too. I'm totally on board with it. It's probably my number 11 or 12, but yeah, I, I love this movie so much fun. You're absolutely right. Um, I'm still sticking with my knives out, but second most fun movie of the year. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with it too. And I think Eddie Murphy does a great job. Divine Joy Randolph also is really yeah. good in that supporting role. Yeah. She's, she's, she's going to be, um, like someone you want to see more of now. Yeah. 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 All right, so uh, my number five would be Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Um, this is shocking. I thought that was going to be <laughs> Dave one. wearing really? a lighthouse yeah. T-shirt. I am wearing a lighthouse T-shirt. And all you talked record. about all year is how much you love it. I thought that would be your number one. Interesting. Okay, so I, I really <laughs> put forth that fan energy, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love this movie. What can I say? I, I love my entire top five, quite frankly. But uh, you know, this movie is so crazy and just uh, two just go for broke performances from Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, just just going nonstop, 100 percent for the whole thing. And uh, it looks beautiful. And I completely get anyone who doesn't like it because of the lack of plot. But it's I for me, it's just such a fun thing to watch, to just sit there and watch these two just go crazy. I love it. Yeah, it's insane. You got that right. Yes, um, I do. <laughs> I, I liked it, didn't love it when I saw it, and I don't think I ever want to see it again, but not because it's not a worthwhile thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, Jesus, it's just insane. Like, um, I also thought, and I think we've talked about this, like some points on like Pattinson's accent changed, and I'm like, but I guess he could justify that because his character is so crazy. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you can justify anything. I think that's maybe part of the problem is yeah. that just because it's all like craziness. So yeah, I would put this on my most disappointing of the year. Not that I didn't like that I disliked it, but I liked The Witch so much. Okay, that Robert Eggers' previous movie that I was really had high hopes for this, and it got a lot of great reviews, and and I thought it was fine. Okay. Yeah. I actually liked it more than The Witch, but um, The Witch is great too, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that was my turn again, huh? Yes, number All four. Right. Number four, going back to my esoteric uh, theme of the Neo Giallo movies. Um, <laughs> which, the, which the listeners have been waiting for. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. We're going to just do a whole podcast on it. Uh, it was a good year for those. Uh, actually, another that wasn't on my list, but it was like number 11. Um, but we're talking about number four, which is Nicholas Pesci's Piercing, a movie that nobody saw this year, which is too bad because it was a lot of fun. In addition to having this, this Euro horror homage, it's very much a Brian De Palma tribute as well. It's so creatively shot um, with all of these deliberately fake looking sets and these popping uh, like artificial colors and wonderfully acted by Christopher Abbott and Mia Wasikowska as these two basically psychopaths who cross paths with each other uh, unexpectedly. And it's almost like a romantic comedy about people who want to murder each other. And <laughs> it sounds great. It is great. Yeah. I think it is great. 
Christopher Abbott plays this guy who's decided he's going to become a serial killer and he makes all these meticulous plans and he hires a prostitute to come to his hotel room so he can kill her. And at the last minute, she cancels and this other prostitute shows up instead, Mia Wasikowska, and she's really into him killing her, but she kind of (laughs) also wants to kill him too. And so they, it's just crazy. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's a movie that you never really know where it's going. And it's like 82 minutes long, but just crazy from well, beginning to end. Where can we watch this right now? I'm what? not sure. I think I, it was it it was out on V. I mean, it was a direct-to-VOD release to uh-huh. begin with. So I assume it's certainly available to rent on VOD. And it's in what language? It is in the language of English. <laughs> I've heard of that language. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Abbott One and Mia Wasikowska, both, fa- both fairly well-known English language actors. <laughs> Mia Wasikowska's done films in other languages, I think. So. I don't know what films those would be. I don't either. I'm excited <laughs> to watch this now, Josh. Okay, Good yeah. It's, it's, it's odd, but um, I, uh, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I'm sure it's, it's got to be streaming somewhere, probably somewhere like Shudder, maybe not there, but... If nothing else, you can rent it on all the VOD places for like three bucks. Um, yeah, you know, and it sounds like, you know, in season one of Awesome Movie Your Own when you did the Cemetery Man. Yeah, it's a little along those lines. Yeah. So this sounds like this is one that actually reaches its potential instead of just going off the rails. I think that it does. Yeah. But um, definitely not a movie that was widely acclaimed. Let's put it that way. I heard a lot of uh, praise for this one from like a lot of other movie podcasts and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess I, I never got around to watching it and I really should. You won't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I will. That's true. I will watch All right. It. I hope so. I look forward to hearing what you think. My number four is um, my favorite documentary this year, and that is Bruce Springsteen Western Stars. And hey, there's no surprise that I'm a huge Springsteen fan, but you could dislike or not care about Bruce Springsteen at all. This is a great movie. Man. Yeah. Um, this is about kind of this Southern Cal sun drenched 1970s Western style album that he just put out and which is such a departure from his other music. And um, I like the album, but then with this uh, movie, you just like the album more because you're not getting, it's not a typical like, behind the music. I wrote this song because of this, like he's really going deep into like character and what it means to be these people that he's writing about. And I guess, you know, Bruce is always wrestling with America and what is American and what we should be. Um, it's shot beautifully. Uh, Bruce co-directed it with Tom Zimney, who's always directing his stuff. Um, and it was really well received, which is, which is good because Bruce needed something to to go his way lately, right? <laughs> He's had a rough time. Yeah, yeah, you know, just the the Broadway thing and the the tours and just poor this. guy. Yeah, so this real was, underdog, that Bruce but, <laughs> but but I truly do recommend this uh, for any fan of of. Uh, music and documentaries this is a great music i i completely agree the 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 thing you said about how it makes you enjoy the album more like that was the thing that my biggest takeaway from it is that i i listened to the album one time through i was like eh, not as best it was all right though but with the context of the movie i mean it's so damn good he's just so in tune with delivering entertainment and information to his audience in unique ways like we just said the broadway thing and this is like I mean, you know, so many of these guys like Bruce is what, 70 or pushing 70. He's 70 now, I think. Um, Yeah, like they just kind of rely on like the greatest hits and like he's just pushing so far forward. It's really fun to watch it like a master just 
take it, take him and push himself to the limits still. We should probably stop him because I'm sure he will continue talking about Bruce Springsteen <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. But I will say as someone who doesn't care about Bruce Springsteen, I have been curious to watch this movie. Cool. I'd love to know what you think. About. Yeah. All right. My number four was on my list at the midway point. And not because I got writer-director Sean Snyder on the show. Obviously, I loved this movie when I first saw it, uh, To Dust, which um, was probably the most surprising movie of the year for me. I mean, I did not, I don't know where this came from, just kind of out of nowhere. Um, but it is such a funny, weird, dark comedy uh, about uh, about this um, rabbi who his wife dies and he's having uh, trouble dealing with the grief. And so he goes to a community college professor uh, thinking that he might have answers for him that would help him to accept things on a more, uh, uh, I, I guess, human level, not religious level. And it, it just goes in such strange places. It's so just darkly funny. And I love this movie. I remember seeing the preview. Is it, what's it called? It's called Two Dust. To dust. Yeah. 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 I liked it a lot too. It was, it was, I was on my top 10 at the, the mid year point and it's yeah. just below that. Awesome. And yeah, it's really good. And Matthew Broderick is probably like his best performance in I don't even know how Absolutely. long as the professor. selection maybe? Yeah. Probably. It might, it, honestly, it might be. Yeah. yeah. And it's just this like funny, like weird buddy comedy. Yeah. And it's one of the best like Jewish movies. We talk about uncut gems, yeah. but this movie is a very Jewish movie and really gets into a lot of, stuff about religion and identity and i'd recommend it too it's nice to see like um like it's not on my top 10 but like it's nice to see actors like who haven't like hit a home run in such a long time but hit that home run like jennifer lopez is great in hustlers oh she yeah is. she definitely. is definitely so. yeah all right uh what's up next for you Josh? number three number, number three, three. three all right well i'm finally getting into some of the widely acclaimed movies of the year my number three is Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story, which is no surprise that I love the Noah Baumbach movie. Mm -hmm. I am a huge, huge fan of basically everything that he does. Um, and this has got to be maybe his most acclaimed movie ever, at least I since, so. since The Squid and the Whale. Since The Squid and the Whale. Yeah, and never. maybe even more so than that. And so I went in with very, very high expectations, and I feel like my expectations were met. It's an incredibly well-acted film. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are both fantastic as this couple going through the process of divorce. Um, I think it's extremely well-written as Baumbach's films always are. Um, it's got humor to it, which some of his films can be very bleak. And this movie has moments of that, but I feel like it's in a way one of his more optimistic films because as we go through the darkness of the divorce process and especially dealing with these shark-like lawyers played by Laura Dern and Ray Liotta, you come out on the end in in sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and and being able to uh, see these people and the way that they can go forward in their lives and as parents. And I just love the journey of that. I mean, the there's a big argument scene that's been memed all over the internet that is justifiably great. But I feel like the opening of this movie with these voiceovers of the two characters reading yeah. these letters about each other and what they like about each other is just so beautiful and heartfelt. And that to me, like from the second this movie opened, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm in it all the way. So um, it's not a movie that needs my endorsement, but I love Marriage Story. Of course, that scene... She does not end up reading her letters. Well, neither of them he, end up reading the letters because one he says he will. Yeah. yeah. So. And then it comes back at the end. The way that that does yeah. is also just really beautiful. Yeah. I love this movie too. Yeah. It, it's probably on my list coming up. Oh, probably. <laughs> you're not, you're not sure. Are you still making your list as no, we talk? It'll be, it'll be. But yeah. It's great. All right. 
All right. Well, uh, what do you have for number three? Okay, number three. Uh, let's look at the other side of romance and a romantic comedy that really worked. Uh, yet another streaming movie. So this is the year of the streamer has taken over for me. I think this is probably the first year where I have more streamers on my list than theatrical releases. Uh, plus one on Hulu, which uh, the young gentleman over there, Mr. Josh Bell, told me to watch. Yeah, so, we watched it together or maybe just part of it because you fell asleep. I do like falling <laughs> asleep uh, during movies. But when you have them at your house, it doesn't matter. That's you true. You woke up later and finished watching it. Man, plus one is awesome, dude. It is good, yeah. It's so good. And it's it it will never get a theatrical release. It like did now. it did get a theatrical release. It was very limited, but you know what it, I we mean. didn't we didn't yeah. have it here. But yeah, right. I know what you mean. Yes. So it's uh it's I I can explain who the actors are, but you can just give their names since I can't. Is it? It's Jack Quaid, I yeah, think is the, the name. Is Dennis, Dennis Quaid's, Quaid's son and uh, Maya Erskine, who is known for uh, Pen, 15. Pen 15, the Hulu show. Yeah, she's great. And yeah, I mean, so it's like kind of this like unknown lead and um, minority actress. Right. So they're never going to release that in a wide releases. But it's basically these two keep their friends. They keep ending up going to the same weddings. They decide instead of looking for each other for dates, they'll just be each other's plus one from now on. and. It goes where you think it's going to go in that it becomes a romance between the two and then uh, it gets messed up and then the resolution happens. And what they do is it's very smart. They set large pieces of the movie uh, at these different weddings and they all have like emotional resonance and kind of beats at all these different weddings. And it's just it's just a great movie. It's really, really good. Like it's the best romantic comedy I've seen this year. Yeah, I liked it a lot, too. It's in maybe my top 20 or 30. And uh, I agree. It's hard to find a good romantic comedy. I think Longshot was another really good romantic comedy this year. um, And these two are both really funny, well-written films. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I liked it a lot, too. I did not see it. I wonder uh, why. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So my number three is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, another grower for me, another one. I, I walked out of it, thought oh, that's kind of, I liked it, but bottom tier Tarantino. And as I've sat with it, I ended up seeing it, uh, three times, actually the most I saw anything this year. And, uh, I, I just, I love it. I love everything about it. I love, uh, you know, all the time we get to spend with each character, uh, the performances. And, uh, just, I think that this is such a, uh, it's the movie of this year that I think I could picture myself just going back to over and over again over the years. It's a movie that I can just throw on and just enjoy. You know what I mean? Just like just a very like chill hangout kind of a movie. Very chill when they murder those hippies. And hey, I, I like, I like some them. good violence, man. Yeah. No, that act three is so um, uh, just hyper energetic. Like, it's Tarantino. So, which is cool, but yeah. it like it takes a really long time to get there. So. Yeah. Well, and um, that's not all the movie is, though. You no, know? I know. I I think I need to rewatch to really give it a fair assessment. I loved like Act Three. I know he hated it. Although, I didn't hate it. No, I mean I was joking about it being chill. Like I like yeah. the movie overall. Uh-huh. Um, I liked it. That was probably the least my least favorite part, but I didn't yeah. hate it. So it's definitely a tone change there. But I I think each section works completely on its own and as an overall. So. All right. Uh, my number two pick, uh, is Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which I just absolutely love this movie. I've seen it twice, which for me is very rare. 
Um, I saw it at a, at a press screening and then I took my mom to see it on Christmas. Uh, and my mom also endorses this movie for whatever that is worth, um, <laughs> which is not much, but, um, no, I mean, I went into this movie, not, I never read little women, the book. Uh, I had not seen any of the previous movie versions. I've since watched the 1994 version that people love so much, the Jillian Armstrong version. Um, but I thought this movie is it, it it approaches the story. It chops it up in this kind of nonlinear fashion, which I thought worked so well emotionally, uh, matching these beats from when the characters are younger to when they're older. Um, you really get, I think, a fuller sense of who they are as people and how they grow uh, over the course of the years. Uh, this movie is just so well acted. Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, who really, I think, hopefully will she get kills it. Man. She's so good yeah. and deserves that Best Supporting Actress uh, Oscar. Uh, but also uh, Eliza Scanlon uh, as Beth, Emma Watson as Meg, the all four sisters, Laura Dern as the mother, um, Jason. I, I, I wanted more for, I didn't think Emma Watson had much to do. In this yeah, movie, I mean, so. that character, I think, is the one who typically gets the least to do in the movie versions of this. And, and you're right, she didn't have as much to do. I thought she did a good job with what she had to do. Um, but I like the kind of meta aspects of it too, especially what they do with the ending, which I've been reading some interesting pieces about online. Um, it's just warm. It's, it's sentimental, but it's not sappy. Um, it's emotional, but it earns everything about it. Like, I just think this is a great movie. Um, and as much as I did like Lady Bird, to me, this is like a huge step up for Greta Gerwig. Well, I'll hundred percent disagree with that. Right. Uh, Lady Bird. I like way better, but I like those types of movies. Better yeah. I mean, and I like Lady Bird a lot. I'm yeah. not saying anything negative about it. I like this movie. I liked it a good amount. Uh, not as much as uh, my character, the coach from my fantasy football show, who every week would recommend Little Women in theaters. <laughs> December 25th, <laughs> I did it every week on your fantasy fire drill. Um, so the first 15 minutes didn't hook me. And I was like, come on, come yeah. on. Like, let me mm. get something here. That's kind of how I was. The first like 30 even, I was kind of like, what is, what is this? Wow. You know, yeah. but, yeah. but I did, it did win me over though by the end. I, I enjoyed it, certainly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and it looks amazing. It looks yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. It does. A, a little dab for the boys. They did great too. Oh yeah. Timothy Chalamet is excellent in this movie. Chris Cooper. Man, yeah. it's always nice to see Chris Cooper, yeah. right? So. Yeah. But uh, Laura Dern having quite a year, huh? She really is between yeah. that and Marriage Story. Yeah, she's uh, really, you know, that power couple. They're making good use of her. Yeah, and Saoirse Ronan, she, she can carry any movie at yeah. this point in time. I liked it. It was, and uh, it just, yeah, it just took me a little too long to get into it to place it that high. Even right. though, uh, yeah, I just shed some tears throughout it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I did too. I thought it was very emotional. And I was drawn in right away and not knowing. I've seen some complaints by people saying like, well, if you're not familiar with the story, you won't understand it. But I had no trouble with that. And I, I was drawn in right away. Yeah, it's not. I, it wasn't that. Right. It was just no, that. I'm not saying it, but other people have said I that. think a fair criticism, like you said, it's broken up into segments is like you could just say like, oh, here's a vignette. Here's a vignette. And it's just becomes very like postcardy or something. Like, yeah. You know? I mean, that that's it's even more like that when you tell the story from beginning to end in a linear way. Yeah. So I like that she I feel like her approach manages to make it less like that in a way. I'm excited to see Greta Gerwig uh, as doing more as a director. I like the gritty, the nitty gritty. So obviously Lady Bird does it for me. But hey, man, no, no, no uh, fights here, uh, little women. All right. I'm with you. Absolutely. So what do you got for uh, number two? two? Marriage story, man. And uh, and, uh, as Josh can tell you, I pretty much have lived this movie. (laughs) So uh, didn't, uh, not a divorce, but a custody battle that was literally 
things in this movie that were being said like i was like exactly exactly <laughs> like you know at some point you're like you have all my money all we're gonna do is take away money from our kid at this point I'm like yes i've made this point right you know <laughs> we're not gonna do this with lawyers exactly i tried that so um but uh man dude he's at the top of his game noah bombach as a writer and director you get to see really really smart glimpses of new york and los angeles as uh entertainment uh capitals and i mean um man i i know they're both going to be up for awards uh and they deservedly so i think adam driver just like man he i don't know what a performance from him on this one yeah. so um yeah and and like josh said it, it is funny which helps um and it's heartbreaking you know like there's a scene where um scarlett johansson takes the kid to the cousins you know to do halloween that Adam Driver has to, you know, take the kid to do like a very industrial Halloween throughout like the bad neighborhoods of LA when there's nothing left to to do. And yeah, man, it's it's tough and cathartic and amazing. And like most people say, it's probably the best movie about divorce since Kramer versus Kramer. And um, right. I think they're probably right. It's a it's an awesome movie and worthy of whatever it wins. Yes. Right I haven't on. seen Kramer versus Kramer, actually. You should see that. It's a great movie. Yeah. All right. Well, I very much enjoyed Marriage Story as well. Not on my list, but uh, my number two on the other end of the spectrum is John Wick Chapter 3. Cool. Um, I This movie is just... I, I honestly... I've toyed with having this on my uh, best of the decade list. That's how much I love this movie. I just nonstop the best fight scenes I think I've seen in anything in as far as I can remember. But even more than that, even more than uh, the fact that the movie is just uh, fun and, and keeps going with the action nonstop, the dog scenes alone are just so freaking incredible. Um, I, I I haven't gotten the Blu-ray yet, but I'm looking forward to it just so I could sit and watch the uh, behind the scenes on that stuff because those scenes are just in completely insane. Are the dog scenes in this better than the cat scenes in Cats? There are no actual cats in Cats. Yeah. <laughs> Do you realize this? I mean, it's debatable at this point. In time. No, that I feel like is not debatable. You You are the only one of us three who has not seen Cats. Yep. <laughs> you really do need to see cats. You, you need to at least like understand what you're up against when Fair. you're talking about this movie. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, no, the, the, I love this movie, John Wick chapter three. And I, the funny thing about it too, is I wasn't a John Wick guy before this. I, I liked them just fine. Uh, this one just absolutely blew me away. See, that's what I find the weirdest, like that this is the one that, yeah. that got you because I feel like they're all the same, right. basically. And I, by chapter three, I'm like, all right, I get it. We're, I'm done with this. I've but. certainly heard that criticism uh, leveled at this movie, but I, I just, I think it, it, it ramps it up to me in a, a very similar to last year with Mission Impossible Fallout. Just, it really finds a way to push it further. All right. Yeah. So my number one pick is the same as that I had as number one at the half year mark. And it's still a movie that no one has seen. Laszlo <laughs> um, Nemesis, Sunset. Uh, he's a Hungarian director. Made a movie a few years ago that a lot of people saw called Son of Saul, a Holocaust film that eventually won an Oscar. And this follow-up, I think, is, is even better. Although it's not about the Holocaust, so it doesn't get the same attention. It is another period piece. It's set on the eve of World War I in Budapest. 
uh, stars uh, Yuli Yakob as a young woman who returns to reclaim her family's hat store. So it does not sound like a very exciting story. But the way that, the, first of all, the way that this movie is shot, which is similar to the way that Son of Saul is shot, where the camera is almost always uh, close on the main character's face. You rarely see what's going on around her. And it really puts you in the position of identifying with her. And as, as it goes on and it starts from her trying to get back this business uh, that her parents who died when she was very, very young owned and uh, has been run by someone else for all this time. And it expands out into exploring this sort of volatile world of Budapest in the, the time leading up to the war and all of these different uh, factions uh, including uh, her brother, who is this kind of almost like terrorist leader, and as she gets drawn more and more into this world. And I've seen this movie twice, and in both cases, I get to a certain point and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. But I think the idea here and what's so fascinating is that she doesn't really know what's happening either. And she's just being kind of buffeted along through this increasingly dangerous world. And you are right there with her. And she's just such a fascinating character. And it paints a portrait of this political moment without telling you context. And that's something that Son of Saul does well at, at also. I mean, I think coming into that movie, everyone knows what the Holocaust is. So you get that context on your own. You bring it to the movie yourself. But the characters don't know what's going on. And I think this movie really builds that incredibly well. Um, and, and it earns every moment. It's a two and a half hour movie. And every bit of it is building to this amazing final shot that really gives you what the whole impact of the story was and how it changed this character over time. So it's a movie that was actually submitted last year for the Foreign Language Film Oscar, um, which I think is one reason why not a lot of people paid attention to it this year. It did, however, come out in the U.S. In 2019, I saw it at a film festival in January and again when it opened here in Vegas in, I think, March or April. Um, it's not a movie for everyone, but I just think it's fantastic. Uh, I believe it's on stars at the moment. If you have that, it's called Sunset. All right. Yeah, I uh, I know the of the filmmaker. I have not seen the movies, but I remember when Son of Saul came out, they were just talking about like what an intense, crazy process it was to yeah. Make, yeah. make that movie. So um, it sounds like uh, uh, one that you got to be emotionally braced for this one. Sunset. Yeah, this one is too, especially Son of Saul even more so, I think. Yeah. All right, so what do you got? My number one is The Irishman. I love All this right. movie, and this was, to me, a if it is the bookend of the Scorsese, De Niro, um, Pesci uh, gangster movies, then it was a definite worthwhile movie, you know, starting back from their collaborations, which involved the gangsters, but wasn't a gangster movie, was Raging Bull and obviously reaching its heights with uh, Goodfellas and then Casino. Um, I thought this, like, it's a masterpiece to me. Everything works in here. I love, um, I mean, dude, Joe Pesci, like, can we get him back on screen? Right. He's so talented. I know some of the complaints about, like, oh, Al Pacino's so big in this movie. And it's like, he's playing Jimmy Hoffman. Right. He has to be yeah. big. I thought Pacino's having a very good year again between this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Definitely. De Niro obviously can carry anything showing that he's still got it. And um, to me, what I loved about it was all the things I love about all these gangster movies. They hook you in. He does such a great job of building that time. Like you really feel you're like you're in that time. And then um, besides being interested in the subject matter, I think there are so many like 
funny scenes that aren't written to be funny, but that's just the natural um, way these people are and how they interact. So I love the Irishman. It all worked for me uh, three and a half hours and uh, I would watch it again. So you were just saying about the funny uh, moments that that's one thing about this movie. It doesn't really get enough credit for is just how funny it is at times. Like, you know, maybe not overall out of that three and a half hours, but when it's funny, I think it's like some of the funniest moments. I agree. And that's that was the case with Goodfellas, Raging Bull, you know, so just, uh, yeah, man, out of the park. Let's let's uh, good to have these guys back on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thank Netflix for opening this in a couple of theaters. So I got to uh, if you can't beat them, join them, I guess. Right. <laughs> uh, so my number one was my number one at the midway point. It is Gaspar Noe's Climax, a movie that is certainly not for everyone. Um, it is a very strange experimental freak out of a movie that is uh for those that don't know uh we did do an episode on it earlier in the year but for those that don't know it's about a dance troupe who is uh finishing up some of their practice and decide to have a little party and have some punch and somebody spiked the punch with uh hallucinogenic drugs (laughs) and they all go completely insane as the camera just stays on them and everybody just just I loses their minds basically. And it's very unique, very different. And it's uh, one of the most original movies I've seen in a while. And it is, uh, what else can I say? It's crazy. I love this freaking movie. And I, I haven't watched it at home yet, but I did watch it in the theater three times also, just like, uh, just like uh, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. But um, it, each time it just, I saw new things that kind of, you're not even 100% sure if they're there. That's how just weird shit is that you kind of feel like you're tripping a little bit along with them. <laughs> I will say that when we did the the mid-year, I had not seen this movie and and you I know you finally it watched so it. So well and I watched it and it's on my uh, top 5 worst movies of 2019 <laughs> list. I hated it That's so so your, much. What are your other four? I don't even know, but I I I made no I mean, I think my other four are things like a Steven Seagal movie that I had to write about <laughs> and how high to mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it, and, it is and this. certainly a movie that is not for everyone. It's I completely could see that point of view. I did make, I didn't make them, but with Josh, I think I watched your first Scott Adkins movie with me this year. Correct. Or, yeah. Yeah. Avengement. Yeah. Which not was, his best one. No. And it was, but it was way better than the uh, Steven Seagal movie. Someone just recommended that in the uh, popcorn and puzzle pieces. Avengement's cool. But if you're going to watch Scott Adkins movie, go watch, uh, the, 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 what is the it? different one. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> well, the one where he's a hitman and he's a the accident one? man. Go watch accident man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought Avengement was, was, Okay. It was way better than that Steven Seagal movie I had to see. And also way better than Climax. Yeah, I haven't seen Climax, so um, I just moved the conversation to Scott Adkins. Yeah, there you go. Reasonable choice. There you go. All right, so like we did last year, I want to uh, finish this up with uh, three of our favorite moments of the year in movies. Um, Before we do, though, do you guys have any like honorable mentions you really wanted to throw out there or anything like that? Oh, I didn't know we were going to do that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'll that. mention, you know, just, just because the listeners want more of Neo Giallo, <laughs> I, I will mention Peter Strickland's In Fabric, which was, I think, my number 11. That also uh, fits in that trend that I think is really good. All right. Um, I was, I didn't know if I could put it on the list. It's another documentaries, but it's more of a, like a true crime series on Netflix. Is it The Devil Next Door about Yvonne the Terrible? Uh, I think that's what it's called. Um, 
is a film or a so it's series? not a movie and you don't know the title. It's like four. <laughs> it could be a movie, but it's, it's four. A, it could be a movie, so. but it's not a movie. Anyway, it's on Netflix and it's about this guy who maybe was one of the worst uh, um, Holocaust guards of all time, you know, mm-hmm. and like he ended up um, living in like Cleveland and then they tracked him down and had like this whole crazy case. It's a really a good, I mean, it's a true crime documentary, but it's split into like multiple parts, like Wild Wild West. So Wild it's Wild. a TV series. <laughs> anyway, I'm putting that um, on there. So that's what I'm saying. So. That, that's fine. We'll, 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 we'll accept it. Um, and in fabric. The I, Devil Next Door. The Devil Next Door. Right? In, in fabric, I did get to watch that. I, I didn't like it as much as you, but it sure is weird. <laughs> it sure is weird. I mean, all of his films are weird. And yeah. I think that's my favorite. Uh, of his uh, Barbarian Sound Studio and the Duke of Burgundy are his other films. And he's very, he's one of the, a big figure, if you would call this a movement of these Giallo style films. Nice. So um, yeah, I, uh, I like that a lot. That was just uh, what, what popped into my head. But well, I mentioned Longshot too, when we were talking about romantic comedies, that's another Longshot's really good. Un- underrated movie this year. I was going to throw The Last Black Man in San Francisco uh, and Midsummer. Well, both very good as well. Yeah. 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 Excellent movies. Oh, how about The Missing Link? That was a fun movie. That was a fun animated movie. Yeah. yeah. It was all right. Yeah. Not like his best, but uh, entertaining. So let's get to some of our favorite moments. Josh, what do you got? Well, I was trying to kind of vary this a bit um, and not just pick one. So I have one from one of my movies and uh, a couple others that from movies are not on my list, but from one movie that was on Dave's list from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, the scene between Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and the child actor Trudy, played by Julia Butters, mm-hmm. who is sort of wise beyond her years. And it's a, a chance for the two of them to connect and for him to express these regrets that he's had in his life and his career uh, and, and convey that to someone who's on the other end of, of the you know, career arc. Uh, she is so good in like two scenes in this movie. She is yeah. the best performance in this movie. Um, <laughs> and not that DiCaprio isn't good. He's really good too. And I think that scene is maybe the best encapsulation of, of what that character is of this guy kind of on the downslope of his career and looking back and regretting certain things and trying to make sense of it all. So I, I'm very mixed on the movie overall, but I love that scene. Absolutely. What do you got, Jason? Uh, I decided to only pick moments that were not on my list because I could pick anything from my list. Sure. Makes sense. So um, mine, and I'm going to let you guys pick the moment because I think the overall experience of it is the moment for me. What a cheap choice. It's <laughs> Matthew McConaughey as the beach bum. <laughs> he's so... I love that movie. I like the movie a lot, and he's just so mcconaughey it up. Like, it, only he could play that role. So how about we just say uh, the sequence with Martin Lawrence and everything <laughs> where they're just chilling and, you know, go, talking about dolphin tours. and I almost had that for my moment, actually. Yeah, because yeah, that really is so funny. I mean, it was it's very singular. I think Harmony Corrine has locked in on who he is as a filmmaker. And McConaughey is just like no one else could have done that, I don't think. So yeah. that's my uh, first one. All right. Uh, well, for my first one, I'm actually going to go back to another scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, along with Josh there. Uh, it's when Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are just sitting there on the couch, just drinking beers and watching a scene from, I think it was Bounty Law or whatever show it was that he had just finished filming and just kind of hanging out and enjoying it. And I mean, I don't think anything is ever captured as like a creative, you know, like sitting around with your friends after you finished making something and watching it, uh, what that 
is like. And I think that it's it's such a beautiful friendship moment, you know? Yeah, they have great chemistry, the two of yeah. them in that movie. So what do you got next? Uh, so, well, I, I did pick one from one of the films on my list. And I, I'm also using this as kind of representative because I had a long 10 or 12 or something list of moments. Um, and there were so many musical moments, so many great musical moments in movies this year. Um, I, you know, to bring it back to Springsteen, uh, blinded by the light on my list. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and I won't, I won't say any more about that, but, but there's great moments in, in rocket man and in wild rose and in Gloria bell as well. But the one I decided to pick is from her smell as Becky something. And this is in the, the later, the fourth of the five scenes in the movie, uh, where she's been kind of living alone in seclusion, uh, after getting sober. And her former uh, bandmate comes and visits her with her daughter, her young daughter, who is kind of like, not estranged, but she hasn't been able to raise the kid. Uh, the father, played by Dan Stevens, has really ra raised the kid. And they have this moment of connection. And the daughter asks her to play a song on the piano, play a song that reminds you of me, mom. And she plays Heaven by Brian Adams, which you would <laughs> think is like the cheesiest possible thing that you could come up with. But it's this haunting sort of, you know, it's just her voice and the piano and she puts so much emotion into it and you can see how it, it conveys how much she cares about the kid, but also all the regrets that she's had about being unable to raise the kid. And it's a single take uh, of just her playing it on the piano and Elizabeth Moss just does a great job of that. And it's one of the quietest moments in the movie, which is generally very chaotic and loud. Sure. Um, and I just thought it works really, really well. Um, so also as a, as a, a example of all the great music moments and character defining music moments this year. And you, you compared her to Courtney Love, right? Yeah, there's a lot of Courtney yeah. Love aspects to that character. Does her smell like teen spirit? No. <laughs> that was good. Did it. That was hey, good. let's continue this music theme. <laughs> all right, let's. Blinded by the light, Dave and I did it. Uh, I, I mean, dude, you could, again, you could pick multiple ones. There's the big sequence where our main character is professing his love for the white girl, uh, you know, by doing Thunder Road. But I chose the one where he first kind of like where the music seeped into his head and it was through the promised land. And like he's walking down these like really rundown streets and some of the lyrics are popping up along the buildings. Mm -hmm. And like, man, as like a Springsteen fan, like I, I like I was crying. But I think even, again, if you're not, that they did a very good job of translating what it is that fans relate to sure. so strongly about him and why his music is so important to so many people. Yeah, that is actually the moment that I had on my list from that movie, on my larger list. Yeah. All right, agreement. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, now, uh, my second uh, moment is uh i'm not gonna try to recreate it here but the the big uh willem dafoe monologue in the lighthouse that begins with hark and then goes into that long uh thing is just it's so funny and just i just sat there i mean my eyes just wide open just staring at him delivering that thing he's he's Always an actor worth watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that where he says, why'd you spill your beans? <laughs> no, that's, no, that's a, a different, different moment. moment. Okay, but There's yeah. so many crazy monologues. In that movie. <laughs> I can't keep track of them. 
What do you got for your next one? Your okay, so one. my last pick, um, I I wanted to get in something, you know, this was maybe a little further down on my overall list, but I wanted to mention this, is another from another Netflix movie that didn't open yes. theaters. Son of a bitch. Uh, which I think is one of the most <laughs> underrated movies this year, uh, Paddleton, starring Ray Romano and uh, Mark Duplass. And I don't think either of you have seen this movie, so I you won't not. know the moment. That Ray I'm Romano having a moment. Though. Ray Romano is so great. good in this movie. I yeah. know this movie and I, it was always on my list to watch, but I know it's just so hard, depressingly hard to it's, watch. It's, it's hard to watch. I mean, I wouldn't call it depressing mm. because I think it's actually very beautiful about the friendship between these two guys. And the plot is that there are these two neighbors and best friends and Mark Duplass's character learns that he's uh, got terminal cancer and decides he's going to end his life um, and so Ray Romano, as his friend, basically is enlisted to help him along. And they have to go on this kind of road trip to a pharmacy that will sell them the medication that, that he needs. And then they come back to their to their apartment, their kind of rundown apartment complex where Ray Romano is by his side as he does this. So, yeah, it's very sad. It's definitely a movie where you can like cry the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it's also beautiful. I mean, part of why you're crying is because this friendship is so strong and it's such a nice depiction of that kind of friendship. Um, and my moment in this is is something that, again, you you kind of have to explain the whole plot. But one of the things that Ray Romano's character uh, keeps uh, bringing up is the idea that uh, he has the best halftime speech that a coach could ever give to like a football team, that he's spent like his whole life crafting this speech that he can give. And there's a scene in the middle of the movie where he is, you know, he's kind of spiraling out and his best friend is about to die and is, he's been entrusted with basically killing his only friend. And he goes in a bathroom and is in staring him, at himself in the mirror and he delivers this halftime speech. Mm. And it's just, it's silly because it's a coach's halftime speech, but it's just really emotional. And I think it really gets to the heart of that character who's this kind of stereotypical like closed off dude who loves football and the most emotional thing he can think of is a halftime speech yeah but it's just really beautiful so the halftime speech from paddleton which is overall a really good movie that people should watch on netflix awesome what do you got jason um i did want to you know like i kind of railed at the beginning against like how boring blockbuster year was but so I wanted to give a little love to one of the blockbusters as and I thought a fitting ending to what we've seen of the Avengers for the last 80 years, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Avengers Endgame. Right. So uh, um, just that moment at the beginning and again, to, to set up where we are in the world where Jeremy Renner's uh, well-known character uh bow and arrow <laughs> <laughs> hawkeye i know it's hawkeye but yeah <laughs> it's, it's just chilling having a family picnic and his entire family gets thanos to, to, to dust you know and they're all gone and it, it's pretty stark and like incredible and i feel like sets the whole story in motion so that one um as far as like big movie moments that was that did it for me I'm impressed it wasn't the portals and you went for the renter instead. Hey man, you have you have your choices, but it's tough to beat bow and arrow, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, for my Hawkeye. last one, I was gonna do the the John Wick dog scene, but since I already talked about it, uh, I will say the uh Dolomite is my name filming the sex scene. But some way hilarious, <laughs> hilarious, which isn't even from the Dolomite. Yeah, it's movie. from like right. a later movie yeah. than he did, I think. <laughs> but they were smart to uh, squeeze that scene in there, so that was hilarious. So uh, yeah, that does it. 2019. Uh, 
pretty good movie year, right, Jason? Jason didn't think so. I thought it was like a lot of, I didn't think the top of the top was great. It's not like you're going to be going into like the Oscars, like, oh man, there's five movies that all could win, right? But mm-hmm. I think uh, right underneath that, uh, on the good to pretty darn good list, like there was a good amount of those. Pretty darn good movie year. Yeah. That's I think right. there was a lot of great movies. I mean, maybe not the ones that are going to be up for Oscars. And as I've said, I didn't really care for like The Irishman, which seems like the biggest one as far as that goes but there were tons of great movies i could have we could have done a top 20 or 30 and i would have had sure. plenty of movies to talk about yeah all right well uh why don't you tell people where they could find awesome movie here awesome movie year is a podcast so if you're listening to this just go to that <laughs> find it wherever you listen to podcasts is what jason's saying awesome movie awesome movie on uh, facebook and instagram awesome movie pod on twitter and you can download it wherever and we hope you do subscribe, listen, give it a five star review if you like it on uh, your podcast app of choice. Yes. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, 2020, guys. We're going to do this again. Sure. Why not? I hope so. Yeah. Sweet. So it's become an annual tradition. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Bell and Jason Harris. Um, what did you think of our picks? Uh, if you had some other picks that you think that we are crazy for leaving out, um, why don't you get in touch with us? Let us know. You can, of course, tweet at PiecingPod, and you can join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue these conversations all the time. So we would love to have you in that group chatting up movies with us. Uh, we've got so many movies to look forward to in this new year, 2020. Uh, but first up, we've got Uncut Gems coming this Friday. We have got uh, the Best of the Decade special episode. And we also have a bunch of episodes in the can that are going up this uh, month to coincide with VOD releases. We've got Jane Silent Bob Reboot, Terminator, Dark Fate, and Jojo Rabbit. So we got a lot of stuff that's like just waiting to come out. But then, of course, there's tons of new movies coming for us to see and for us to cover. So... You know what? If you're out there listening and you've been thinking to yourself that you want to maybe be a guest co-host on Piecing It Together one of these days, now's the time to get in touch with me because it is time to schedule some new episodes. So do get in touch with me. Again, you can tweet at us or um, you can email me directly by davidrosen at gmail.com or just come to the website piecingpod.com where there's a contact form. You can get in touch that way. Uh, but we would love to have you and we are very much looking forward to this new year of piecing it together. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, 2019 was an amazing year for the podcast and for me and um, I just really appreciate all of you being out there. So I think that does it. Let's leave you with a piece of music as we always do. And uh, maybe I'll actually get into making some new music in 2020. That would be nice. Uh, If I could pull myself away from the podcast for a minute and maybe try to do a little of that. But let's leave you with a piece of music. Uh, I think I might have used this one last year when doing our best of 2018. But it makes sense because it is my 
probably most listened to, most popular song. It's a track called Dreams Like These from my album An Unseen Sky. There's a really cool music video up on my YouTube channel for it. Enjoy it. And like I said, coming up this Friday, we got Uncut Gems. Then Monday, we got the top 10 of the decade. And then we're moving forward into 2020. Happy New Year, everyone.